order of salvation. We're just coming almost to the end of this, talking about things that happen to us when we become Christians, and then that happen ongoing in the Christian life, and here we are in perseverance, continuing in the Christian faith and continuing in our walk with the Lord throughout life. And so the perseverance of the saints on your outline, we started out last week talking about this. Uh, those who, All those who are truly born again, definition, will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. So we started out number uh, letter A, all who are truly born again will persevere to the end. That is, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, then by faith alone, no other requirements, no requirement for good works or earning merit in any way, but just by faith alone, the merits of Christ's righteousness are given to you, that God counts them as yours. They're imputed to you. And your sins are forgiven. They're taken by Christ, uh, because God counted them to Christ, and he took the punishment for them. So uh, so once you've trusted in Christ, then you have eternal salvation, and it's never going to be taken from you. Jesus says that uh, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, is the will of my Father, and I will raise him up at the last day, raise him up to eternal life in heaven with Christ. His, uh, the, he says, my sheep hear my voice. That's you. My sheep, hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. I was thinking, just uh, reading through the latter part of John's Gospel, you know, when this is, this is chapter 10. My sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But at the end of the Gospel, after the resurrection, Mary comes to the tomb. She's looking around. Where have you taken his body? And, and, she, and, uh, and she thought it was the gardener who said something to her. And then Jesus said, Mary. She heard his voice. He knew her. He knew her by name. He knows you by name. He'll call you by name. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Tremendous assurance, tremendous comfort and confidence that once we've trusted in Christ, We'll never perish. We're, we're with Jesus forever. He knows us. We hear his voice. But then point B, the second half of this, is we've got to be faithful to the other collection of verses in the Bible, too, and that is only those who persevere to the end have been truly born again. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Colossians 1. Um, you were alienated and hostile in mind, but he is now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard. So Paul says, well, yeah, but you've got to continue. You've got to continue believing. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, I don't think he's saying that anybody who's truly born again can have an evil, unbelieving heart. But I think he's saying, addressing a whole group of Christians, like I'd be addressing this whole group of people in the room today, I don't know the hearts of you all. And the author is saying, I don't know the hearts of you all. Be careful that in none of you there's an evil, unbelieving heart rather than a heart of faith. Exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. We share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So that's one evidence that we're sharing in Christ. 
1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. People who left the fellowship. They, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are not, they all are not of us. They weren't part of the true body of Christ. They, they left and didn't continue. So these warning passages, they're not given to make us think assurance of salvation is impossible. I want to talk about assurance for the rest of the time this morning. But to warn people against falling away and to warn those who have fallen away. There are many evidences of salvation that can give us assurance, and we're coming to those in a minute. And then point C, and this is the last point we did last week. Those who finally fall away may give many external signs of conversion where they kind of look like they're part of the body of believers. And, of course, the example is Judas, who was with the 12 disciples, and they didn't even know that he, Jesus knew, Jesus knew, but the rest of the disciples didn't know that uh, Judas really didn't have a believing heart, that uh, Jesus says, I've chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. He knew that one of them would betray him. But when Jesus said, one of you will betray me at the Last Supper, they didn't say, it's Judas, it's Judas. No, they said, is it I, is it I? And so Judas had somehow played the game. He'd gone along and learned the talk. Uh, and uh, and uh, and yet he was not a true believer. And the, Paul talks about false brothers secretly brought in who caused him danger. Galatians 2.4, 2 Corinthians 11.26. I'll go, I went over some of these last week. So, And then we talk about this longer passage in Hebrews at some length <clears throat> about people who fall away. It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have then fallen away. That is, they gained information. They knew about the gospel. They kind of sampled it. They, maybe they had answers to prayer and uh, tasted the goodness of the word of God. It seemed beautiful to them. And, and, they, and they, they were in worship times with the church, and they've kind of felt, oh, there's something real here. But they then fell away. Well, what does the author say about them? That their nature was, all they did was receive, receive, receive. There wasn't anything positive given back. All Their whole life was just bearing thorns and thistles. There wasn't any positive fruit. As the example is, this land that drinks rain, and if it bears thorns and thistles, it's, it's worthless and near to being cursed. Its end is to be burned. And so it's a strong warning. And I, I mentioned that people in the Christian world, interpreters, differ on this passage. And some people think that this means they were truly born again and they lost their salvation. But I don't think, both from this passage, where it compares them to thorns and thistles, or a land that bears thorns and thistles, and then from the rest of the New Testament that is so strong on you won't really lose your salvation if you're saved. From those two considerations, I think that this is somebody that kind of came into the fellowship of the church but did not really have genuine saving faith. So they've affiliated with the church, and they understood the gospel. They felt the power of the Holy Spirit at work, but they fell away. Other passages... Uh, that are used to argue for loss of salvation. I don't think these prove that you can lose your salvation, but some people have used them. Hebrews 10.26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This is a strong warning against falling away, but not proof that someone who has truly born again can lose his or her salvation. See, again, it's after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Uh, do you understand the gospel? Yeah, I understand it. But you know, I, I just think of a guy... Uh, Margaret and I had an evangelistic Bible study a number of years ago in England when we lived there for some time. And 
there was a, a fellow that we liked, and he came to the fellowship of the church. His wife was a strong believer, and we had this Bible study week after week after week. He could kind of give the answers, but he'd say, I just will not commit my life to Christ. I will not trust him. I just am not ready to do that yet. And we came back a number of years later, still in the same situation. And there are people like that. They understand. They receive a knowledge of the truth, but they just will not will not believe it. And that's a, a dangerous situation to be in because they've been given so much blessing through that knowledge but haven't responded to it. Uh, Revelation 3.5, some people use this to say you can lose your salvation because <clears throat> Jesus says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. <coughs> <coughs> that's a symbol of our sins being covered. White being a sign of purity. And Jesus clothing us with his obedience or righteousness. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Some people say, well, see, Jesus says he'll never blot their name out of the book of life. That means for some people he could blot their name out of the book of life. And my answer is, it's not good to use a verse where Jesus says he will not do something to try to prove that Jesus will do something. That same thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I need an example here. Um, well, uh, <clears throat> if I said to Margaret, which I did, I will never leave you. <laughs> You're my wife forever. 39 years is going to be the rest of our life. If I say I'll never leave you, that doesn't mean, oh, he means he could leave her. You don't want to do the opposite. It doesn't prove the opposite. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll, I'll never blot your name out of the book of life. That's a positive assurance. That doesn't prove that in other cases he will. It's, the verse isn't talking about that. So I don't think that's a very good verse to say you'll lose your salvation. <clears throat> the fact that Jesus emphatically says he will not do something shouldn't be taken as teaching that he will do the same thing in other cases. That's not good logic. Well, then, there's, another, there's an Old Testament passage that people point out and say, ah, I know one that proves you can lose your salvation. What about King Saul? You know, he was anointed king. He's head and shoulders above the rest of the people of Israel. And then, didn't he become evil? He sought out a, a, a witch or a medium to conjure up Samuel, and he tried to kill David through the spear at him, and uh, it kind of went downhill in his life. Um, so 1 Samuel 16, 14 says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Honestly, I have looked at these passages on Saul, and my conclusion is it's really hard to tell what Saul's spiritual condition was. There are places where the Spirit of God came on him, he was changed into another man, or even is promised that God will give him a new heart. But then there are other places where he just seems to be not having any good fruit in his life. And I, I, I'm just not willing to come down one side or another very strongly on whether Saul was saved or not. I, I'm, I, it's just difficult to tell. Whether he was an unregenerate man who was used by God, or whether Saul was a regenerate man with a life that strayed from the Lord. But here, I think what is happening, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul to get a real understanding of what's going on there you have to read the previous verse. 1 Samuel 16, 13. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And the next verse, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So I think what's happening is the Holy Spirit was empowering Saul for kingship and equipping him for the responsibilities of king. <clears throat> and then the Holy Spirit departed from Saul in that sense and went to empower David and anoint him as king. So I don't think it tells us about Saul's internal heart condition. It doesn't tell us about his salvation. I think it's rather spirit in the sense of empowering to be king, anointing, equipping to be king. So I am not sure about Saul. That's all I'm... Uh, what, if, 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 he, if he was really born again, then I think same thing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If he was really born again, then he had a lot of disobedience, he lost a lot of reward, but he's still saved, and he's, we're going to see him in heaven. If he was not born again, then he was just someone that the Holy Spirit, for some reason, worked in his life to, um, to, to lead Israel, but, but short of him coming to be saved. I don't know. Samson is a similar case. He did all sorts of... He had this mighty power. He delivered Israel. Delivered Israel from the Philistines. And then he did all this sin, you know, going visiting a prostitute and living with Delilah that he wasn't married to. And and then at the end of his life, though, it seems like he's got his faith back. And he said, oh, and he prayed to God and and, and uh, deliver me, uh, let me... Let me die with the Philistines. And the temple comes down. I... Those are, all we do is we get sort of a picture, an overview in the Old Testament, but we're not quite sure. So I'm not going to make anything out of those examples when I've got the strong, clear doctrinal texts in the New Testament where Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand, and I'll give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And um, He who began a good work, and you will continue it until the day of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Those are strong, clear, universal doctrinal statements, and the individual narrative examples, I, should, I don't think, should overturn those. What's your name? Uh, Jim. Jim. Yeah. I just said uh, in the OT, it's more, it actually is more regarding to the service. More regarding to the service yes. instead of the salvation. Yes. It seems to be, I think you're right, that there's more emphasis on what they do to serve, and it doesn't talk so much about, it's, it's some, but not so much about their salvation individually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. So, so, well, my conclusion is I don't think there are any verses that prove that people can really lose their salvation if they're born again. But now the question is, am I one of those people who's just come to the church and kind of learned the language and gone along with this, but never, never had genuine saving faith in my heart? Or am I a person who has truly trusted in Christ and has salvation and it's never going to be lost? And so that's the question of assurance in the Christian life. It's an important question. And I've listed some questions here, I think, all of which are designed to give a true believer increasing levels of assurance. So what can give a believer genuine assurance? First thing is, do I have a present trust in Christ for salvation? Paul says, Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith. That is today, this morning, Sunday, May 4th, 2008, at 10.18 a.m. Do you have a present trust in Christ for salvation? Are you continuing in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard? That's why this D. James Kennedy evangelism explosion question is so good 
at getting at what's in people's hearts. Because it teaches people in doing evangelism to say to a, to a friend, oh, friend, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he would say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And if people are honest in asking that question, if they say, well, I've been pretty good. I've been as good as the next guy. You know, I haven't lied too much and tried to be honest. Well, they're looking at their own works. See, they're looking at their own life. They're depending on themselves. That's not assurance of salvation. But if someone says, if you were to die and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? And you said, and the instinctive response of your heart is, I've trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And his word promises, if you know only one verse in the Bible, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what your word promised God, and I believed it. And that's the, that's the right answer. That's depending. See, and if you can ask your own heart, well, what am I really depending on? Am I anxious and nervous inside? Am I going to be good enough? Then you're trusting yourself. But if, you're, if there's a peace that you're trusting in Christ. And if you stand before God, there's no fear of condemnation. The Bible says there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not based on what you've done. It's based on what Christ has done. And you trust in him. Well, then there's present trust in your heart. That's the number one thing, I think, that should be an indication that you have come to genuine saving faith. Is it there in your heart today? Hebrews 3.14, we share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That is, are you right now trusting in him? Okay? The emphasis on present faith in Christ stands in contrast, emphasis in the New Testament, stands in contrast to the practice of some church testimonies where people repeatedly recite details of a conversion experience that may have happened 20 or 30 years ago. If a testimony of saving faith is genuine, it should be a testimony of faith that is active to this very day. Now, I don't mean, don't talk about what happened when you became a Christian. Sometimes that's very encouraging. I was just talking to someone yesterday who was sharing with me about what happened when he became a Christian, and I was encouraged to hear that. That was good. But his focus, his emphasis is not, well, this happened to me 20 years ago, but right today I am still trusting in Christ. That's the question. Is that clear? You want to talk about that? Carol, I need a microphone up here. It comes down to when you accept Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living within you and your communication with him daily in his word and, mm-hmm. and praise, you have a personal relationship. Yeah. And yeah. you have assurance, you know, in your heart. Yeah. If you sin, which we all do, you ask yeah. for forgiveness, turn away from it, and keep trying and mm-hmm. going ahead. Yeah, Carol, when you talk about this personal relationship, that that is really at the heart of this faith, trusting in Christ. Yes, you know him. There's a personal relationship. Yeah, good. Okay. Anything else? Oh, yeah, uh, Jean. When God describes himself as I am, which is in the present, mm-hmm. it further at least suggests to me that therefore he's a God of relationship in the present. And therefore what happened 20 years ago, while important, you need to live in the I am world. 
good, good, good. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the living. I am, I am. So it's, it's God presently. Are we trusting in him? Good. Good, Gene. Okay, anything else on this? John and Brian. Wouldn't a person's genuine concern, like John said last week, and he asked you about uh, whether or not uh, you know he felt like he was saved, uh, wouldn't their genuine heartfelt concern be an evidence of the fact that you are believing? Because if, if you don't care, you're mm-hmm. not interested, mm-hmm. you just like your life of sin, then yep. you don't have any heartfelt concern for yourself. Yeah, but the concern might be, John... Um, I think that's important. It's, there's some, there's some, but the concern might be evidence of lack of faith and anxiety and self-trust, and saying there's something wrong here. So, um, yeah, Kathy Brown is sitting in the back, and I've heard Kathy mention she's a hospice nurse. I've heard her mention about the extreme distress that people feel when there's no spiritual peace at the end of their life. I mean, that's a really hard thing to, to mention, but that concern might not be a concern that reflects faith. I don't know, Kathy, I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> that's because I think she was saying something to Margaret when I happened to call on her. <laughs> it uh, couldn't be. <laughs> okay. I used to think it was funny when I was in 8th grade and Margaret was in 7th grade and the teacher didn't allow people to chew gum and Margaret chewed grape gum, which you could smell through the whole room in the back of the classroom in junior high. That was 7th grade. All right. How did we get off on this? Wait a minute. (laughs) Okay, Brian, you get the microphone. Um, Even up there you have continue in the faith and we had references in the scripture pertaining to those who continue in the faith and uh, endure to the end and so forth. Is overcoming the world another such example Hmm. of, or is that that something maybe a little different? Boy, let me see. You know, I don't have that phrase in here. It's it's in 1 John, I think. Yeah, well, it's one of my my favorite verses, actually. It's in 1 John 5. It's the first, like, five, six verses. Ah, you know what? Um, I would put it under Roman numeral five here under evidence. So uh, let me first John five. Do you want to just read that, Brian? It says, "Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. Mm-hmm. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world." And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the yeah. Son of God? Good. Okay, Brian. I think that's really important. I think overcomes the world. It's almost a picture of like the world is this, this stream of water that's flowing along in disobedience to God and giving into all sorts of sin. And, and a believer just doesn't get swept along by that and just gets swept away. It's overcoming that. It's getting out of the stream and going the other direction or standing against it and going the other direction, some picture like that. And I'd put that kind of as another part of the obedience on number five. I'll get to Roman numerals. So good. Let me go on. Okay, so is there present trust? That's one thing, and you can ask yourself. Number two, is there evidence of regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my heart? And there are various things that can give evidence of this. First, a subjective testimony of the Holy Spirit bearing witness 
that we are God's children. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's just something in you that gives you assurance that you are God's child. You, you know what it means to relate to him as father. You pray to him as father, and the Holy Spirit gives witness to that. There's, um, there's, there's something there that we register and are aware of very deep within our hearts or our spirits. And uh, that's really important. Romans 6, 8, 16 talks about it. Then is there the fruit of the Spirit? Um, Galatians 5, probably should turn to this just for a minute. If you have a Bible and can turn to Galatians 5, or else I'll just read it. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But Paul's saying, if, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, he's going to start growing and producing fruit. And so, do you see over time that your life, not that it's perfect, but is your heart characterized by love for others rather than just hatred and anger and hostility and bitterness toward people all the time? Is there joy rather than just continual cynicism and, and just uh, unrelenting kind of uh, uh, lack of joy and, and uh, I don't know, sadness? Or what would be the opposite of that, opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, distress? Is there peace rather than continual unrelenting anxiety? Patience rather than, I don't know, what's the opposite of patience? Impatience. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, kindness, or are you just a mean person? Goodness, or you're just or people think you're just being evil? Uh, faithfulness, or are you continually betraying trust that's in you? Gentleness, or are you harsh? Self-control, or are you completely un, un, uncontrolled? I don't think Paul means for us to say, are we perfect, because we don't get free of sin. But, you know, for those of you whom I have come to know, I'd say those descriptions fit you. I don't think you're angry, hostile, bitter, selfish people. I think you are kind and peaceful and joyful and loving and faithful people. I mean, that's just a generalization. And those things should be, I think, increasingly true in our lives. And they, they, we see a change life. Um, you know, um, I'm thinking back of a situation where Margaret and I knew a person that we'd known for a number of years, and all of a sudden we started to see change in life. We started to see a pattern of more of these elements of the fruit of the Spirit. We both noticed it. And it was the first thing that made us think, and we later had other assurance, that this person had come to trust in Christ for salvation. There was a change. Uh, is there ministry fruit of edifying others in the church? Is there, when, you're, when you come in contact with neighbors or loved ones or friends or co-workers or others who are believers, are you building them up? Or are you always having a harmful and destructive influence in their lives? Is there fruit uh, in what you're doing? Are you praying for them? And is there some answer to prayer? Is there continuing accept? Oh, and, and, and so that's ministry fruit is Matthew 7 about uh, uh, the tree bearing different kinds of fruit. By their fruit, you will know them. Continuing acceptance of sound doctrine. Uh, 1 John 4, 6, 
1 John 4, 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, says John the Apostle. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Not listening to the apostles would be the equivalent of not listening to the New Testament writings, which are the writings of the apostles or approved by the apostles. And someone who goes out and begins to teach as a member of a cult or begins to teach false doctrine, denying Christ, denying salvation through Christ, that's not evidence of salvation. That's evidence of uh, not having salvation. Uh, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. I think of those scholars who publish books saying why you can't trust the Bible, why the Bible is false. You know, uh, I, I think they're, they're not submitting themselves. They're not listening to and hearing the word of God, even though they may have academic credentials and be teaching on the New Testament in some university. If all they're teaching is you can't believe it, they're not listening to the apostles. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. I think John is saying they're, they're not from God. They're, they're having the spirit of error where they're rejecting the truth of the word. And then here's what Carol mentioned earlier, a continuing relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there a, you know, just daily in prayer and talking to him and reading his word and, and being built up by it and hearing, hearing his word? Abide in me, says Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, John 15, 4. And verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So those are, those are evidences that the Holy Spirit has begun to work and produce a change in someone's life. Um, and then there's another one. A life of obedience to God's commands. Now again... Uh, Jamie had this wonderful sermon this morning about that we do fall into sin, we do fall into temptations, that even our senior pastor talked about temptations that he is subject to and he's, he's failed on at times. And yet there should be overall in the Christian life a life of obedience to God's command. And First John again talks about this. Whoever says, I know him, that is, I know Christ, I know him, I, I, he's my Savior. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. This guy doesn't beat around the bush. <laughs> he's, just, he's a liar. If you, don't, if, if you say you're a Christian, but you don't follow Jesus' commandments, you're a liar. Now, I think that is as a general pattern of life. Not saying that you don't sin, but what's your pattern of life in general? He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Walk as a picture of the Christian life. As you're going through life, going to the store, talking with your neighbor, relating to people in your own household, at work, talking to people on the phone. What is the walk of your life? Paying your bills, whatever. Well, the walk, the ordinary, uh, everyday life that you're living, is it walking in the same way in which Jesus walked? We know we've passed out of death from life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Is there a love for other believers? Just in your heart. That's another evidence. So lots of evidences. And as you see these things, they ought to say, yes, yes, yes. Okay, Lord, I see this. I see this. Yeah, I see that there's a lot of evidence of a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my life. You want to talk about that for a minute? Uh, Don, way over here. 
comes Daryl. There's Daryl with flat cakes. Daryl is bringing the microphone around. He's another one of these Mattathiah guys, just quietly serving, and he's bringing the microphone around, and God notices. This applies on uh, several levels of, of what you're talking about, but it's also about you. Uh, when, uh, when Margaret was speaking, uh, this is for the class to hear. When Margaret was speaking, uh, Wayne's face lit up. Uh, Mary Jane rented a movie the other day, up, and one of the lines was that, that you look at the groom when the bride comes down the aisle, and here it is 30-some years later, and he's still looking at his wife the same way. More. Evidence. <laughs> more. Right? Yeah. Evidence amazing, of God it? in every, every one of yeah. these areas. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't listening, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no offense, Bob, but I was back there at the coffee table, and one person after another coming up to me just saying something or something, and then somebody came up and said, can I say something? I said, not when my wife's talking. I paid real attention right then. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anything else on this? Uh, okay, let's, let's kind of finish this off now. Um, this list should be... Reassuring, reassuring, reassuring to everyone who's a believer. It should be just giving you encouragement and, and comfort. If it is not, if you're saying, I'm not sure here. Maybe I've just been brought up in a Christian home. I learned to kind of follow the rules. But I don't know if it's there in my heart. Then that's cause for concern. That's cause for getting alone with God and searching out his word and saying, Lord, do I really have saving faith? It's maybe cause for getting with a friend and talking and saying, I'm troubled about this. I'm not sure. I know, I know the answers. I know it in my brain, but I'm not sure if it's in my heart. And I'm anxious about dying and standing before God because I, I'm not sure where I stand. If that's the case, then pursue God. Follow after that question until you have resolution. It's crucial that you not drop it or let it go. It's crucial. Not to brush it under the rug. I'll take care of it later. It's crucial that you press on until there's peace in your heart, that you are at peace with God, that you've made things right with him, that you've trusted truly in Christ and you're resting in him. His work alone for your salvation. And then there's one more thing, and that is Second Peter. Second Peter asks us to make our calling and election sure. That is, it's it's down here at the bottom. Therefore, therefore, brothers. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And how does he want us to do this? Basically, he wants you to continue on in the Christian life and continue on growing. And so he gives a list of things that, that should be increasing in your life. And these are things we can apply ourselves to and seek after and ask God that we would grow in. So First Second Peter 1.5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, 
That's initial saving faith, and then it continues. So you've got faith, you've got trust in Christ. But he's saying, don't stop there. There's so much more to the Christian life. And the more that you add, the more and more this deep assurance is going to grow. So you don't stop with faith. You, faith, but then what's happening to your life? You're adding virtue. So supplement your faith with virtue. This word virtue, the Greek word arete, A-R-E-T-E, arete, the last E is a long E, arete, it's the word that the Greek culture and Greek history used to describe everything that was excellent, everything that was noble, everything that was worthy of of admiration and in, in, in personal character qualities. It's a hard word to translate. Virtue, perhaps excellence, um, just, just it's a whole sum of honesty, integrity, um, faithfulness, loyalty, courage, um, uh, purity of heart, all this arete. It's, it's a, a continual uh, life of uh, pursuing things that are worthy of praise, that are godlike qualities. So that's a, a kind of an all-encompassing term, and we should be growing in that. And then supplement your virtue with knowledge. Reading the Bible, number one. Reading Christian books. Coming to an enrichment class. Talking with others about the Lord. Um, listening to Christian tapes. I mean, you're gaining knowledge because knowledge helps us to be obedient. Okay, and then knowledge with self-control. Greek word enkratia. Uh, in, the first part of it is in. The second part is strength or strong. It's kind of an inward strength, uh, self-control. It's, I've committed to do this, so I'm going to do this, even though I don't feel like doing it right now. Or that's inward strength. Or what Jamie was talking about this morning. I know I'm not supposed to do this, and so I'm going to tell you I'm dead to it, and uh, and then you don't do it. There's self-control. Or you think about lashing out at someone in anger, and you say, no, self-control, I'm not going to do that. That kind of, okay, self-control. Um, that is, uh, your knowledge of what God wants you to do is in charge. That You grow in that in the Christian life. Uh, self-control, you supplement that with steadfastness. Greek word hupomone, continuing over time under a, under a burden or in a condition, steadfastness, steadfastness. That is, not only are you acting with faith and love and self-control this morning, but steadfastness means tomorrow too, and the next day too, and next month, and next month. There's a continuing over time, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, Godliness, uh, Greek word eusebia, it's, um, it's, it's again kind of what we would think of as godliness. It has to do with a life that, is, that has prayer in it, that has worship in it, that has love for God, all these things that would be having to do with our, uh, our, uh, our heart in relationship to God and giving to him prayer and praise and, and confession and and loving his word, there's all those, what we would call spiritual or devotional exercises. I think that's the primary emphasis on this godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, Philadelphia, Greek word, meaning just care for others and, 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 and kindness to them. And brotherly affection with love. Uh, that's a, a 
Greek word agape that you've all heard, this wonderful godlike kind of love. Now, Peter just says, keep growing in those things. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Why? Because if these qualities are yours and are increasing at age 25, 35, 45, 65, 75, 85, if they are increasing, what's going to happen? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Want to be fruitful? Want to be effective in your life? Grow in these things. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten, he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Keep on doing these things. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This entrance, it's just like the picture of pilgrim and pilgrim's progress, crossing over the river and going into the heavenly city. And there's just the angels are singing and there are people rejoicing and welcoming. There's a rich entrance that is going to be provided for you. Um, into the eternal kingdom. So I think this implies that, that, there's, that there's assurance and then there's stronger assurance. From the moment a person trusts in Christ for salvation, I can say to him, you, you prayed to receive Christ, you trusted in him, if you die tonight, you're going to heaven. There's assurance because there's assurance based on faith. But then, and the, and the person can receive that, but you know, people can deepen in their assurance. And I think that this, Peter is giving us a description of how our assurance can become stronger and stronger over time. Number four, we won't always be able to tell who has salvation. There are many people, no, this isn't, I added this, but it wasn't on, is that in your outline? No, okay, I didn't get it, I didn't transfer it. Look, there are many people who give clear evidence of genuine salvation. That's... All of you that I've, well, that's just in general, the Christians that we know. There, there's there's, a, there's a, a wonderful life, and you love to be with each other. There are other people who give clear evidence of lack of salvation. They're just hostile to the church, uh, uh, and everything they do is just leading people to more sin and destructiveness. And then there are also people who are not in either group, because their lives give some positive evidence of salvation, and then other evidence that seems negative. In such cases, we simply don't know God knows, 2 Timothy 2.19, God's firm foundation stands bearing his seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And so God knows. And those cases where we have a friend, a loved one, and I can think of several in my own mind, just people in my own life, where I see some positive evidence, I see some negative evidence, I'm not sure. And there isn't a clear profession of faith, but there are some hints that there might be saving faith. And I'm not going to say the person's saved. I'm not going to say the person is not saved. I continue to pray that the person would come to a clear knowledge of salvation and, um, and, that, and uh, that, they, you know, that relationship with, with Christ would be made strong and, and right. That's the end. We've got 10 minutes left to talk about this now. Do you want to? Pammy, there's a microphone here coming from Trent. Wayne, while the microphone's coming up to Pammy, uh, going back to your earlier point about the uh, Old Testament of David and, and the Spirit departing and so forth, wasn't it common in Old Testament times that the Spirit would not indwell people permanently but would come 
for a period of time and then depart, and it wasn't until New Testament times that when the Spirit descended on us that it was permanent? Really hard question. Um, because what you say, Bob, is certainly true about the descriptions that we see. Um, you see the descriptions of this kind of external coming on to empower Samuel or, or empower so Saul or Samson and, um, and then kind of departing or there's external evidence. And so I want to say I'm tempted to say that, but I know if anybody's going to be saved, there's got to be, just from what I know about salvation and people and dead and trespasses and sins, there's got to be some kind of internal work of the Holy Spirit to give any kind of faith, even for Abraham or David. So, so even though it's not talked about so clearly, my knowledge of the New Testament makes me want to go back to the Old Testament and say, well, <clears throat> in order for David to write those Psalms, there's got to be, he's got to be born again. Is it, and so... Um, I know there's this kind of empowering for service, but I think there's an internal transforming work that's not so often talked about. But I'm, if you can tell, I'm on a little bit, I feel like I'm on a little bit shaky ground there because there isn't a lot of evidence in the Old Testament. So, good question, hard question. Yeah, Pammy. I had a precious relative who... Um, um, battled um, alcoholism and then um, came to Christ yeah. and um, but he believed he could lose his salvation and he would continually say that he didn't know for sure if the Lord would let him into the um, uh, heavenly kingdom or not and his wife would get so mad at me because um, I would impart to him what I believed was truth, and that is assurance of our salvation. But she would say, I want him to stay scared because I don't want him to go back to alcohol. So don't tell him that he can't lose his salvation. <laughs> and um, if it was, um, but so this went on for about 14 years. And um, it was very exciting when, um, because this older gentleman and and his wife believed I had a pride problem because I said I know that I am going to heaven because yep. it isn't anything I did it's yep. all Jesus yep. and yet um, when I would try to show them that the pride was actually on someone who believed their merits or good works yep. along with Jesus yep. you know so um, it's a that was a very interesting and I am glad to report that um, the Lord used Charles Stanley and a tape that I got on assurance mm -hmm. to um, allow this man to, in, in my opinion, see, believe, trust, yeah. and rest in yeah. his um, Good. salvation. Good, Pammy. Thank you. Yeah, um, that's very. Th there's a principle here that I'm glad you were faithful to, but the, the woman who didn't want you to tell the guy what was in the Bible wasn't, um, and that is... Using what is in the Bible, God's truth, is always the right solution. And never kind of saying, oh, I'm not going to tell them about that part because that won't work. So <laughs> it's, it's the whole counsel of God and, and all of it. Yeah. Hmm? The truth sets you free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, I mean, it would be easier for me to stand up here and say, if you ever prayed a prayer once, you're saved forever. But I don't think I'm being faithful to the whole teaching of God's word then. 
as well. So it's a little bit more complicated, but I, I, I'm hoping that this is fair to everything the Bible's saying. Okay. Um, okay, back here. Yep. Shirley. I have to put the microphone really close. Oh, my feelings are that, to me, it's personal for you to decide if you have salvation, and it's personal for God to know what your heart and whether you have salvation. Yeah. To me, it's nobody else's business but yours and God's. Good. I'm, thank you for bringing that up. It should have been in the outline. I need to say something there. <clears throat> I don't want you to go around starting to say to people, I don't think you're saved, I don't think you're saved. That's no good at all. You don't want to say that. But, but what happens when someone, when a child comes to you and says, well, can I marry so-and-so? Well, you want to know if so-and-so is a believer or not. Because you don't want your child to marry an unbeliever. So there's a question. Or someone says, well, should we put so-and-so in charge of teaching a Sunday school class? Well, you want to know if the person's a believer or not. And then I've got situations with acquaintances where I have, I know of someone who has some knowledge of the Bible, and he has some knowledge of what it says about Jesus, but I don't think he's saved. And that helps me, to think about that helps me to know how to pray for him. And I'm praying that he would come to genuine relationship with Christ, genuine trust in Christ. Surely wants a follow up here. So, yeah. I see it this way. If if my child came to me and she wanted, okay, my daughter Cherie wanted to marry Joseph. Yep. Okay, I don't want her to marry Joseph, but I feel that's her business. She's an adult. And if he is not truly saved, God will deal with him. In his heart, he yeah. would deal with him. Yeah. That okay. is their business, not mine. Yeah. Okay, because I don't own my daughter. She belongs to yeah. God. Okay. Well, I guess we probably have a little different <laughs> approach there. Um, we did have a situation with one of our sons, and you know, he was, he was dating someone who wasn't a believer, and we said to him, you know, you you can't marry her. She's not a believer. And uh, he didn't have to obey what we did, but uh, what we said, but he did, and we're we're glad for that. So, and he the next day he broke off that relationship, and um, and I'm really thankful. I think, and even he loved this girl that he'd been dating, but she wasn't a believer, and and uh, well, and we had a chance to share the gospel with her, but she didn't really want it. So anyway, that's just a that's just where we are. What else, Sandy? No, yeah, you can't do that. You can't make that kind of promise. <laughs> Go ahead. A little bit along the lines of what Shirley was saying, um, and it's a verse close to where you were earlier today. First Samuel 16:7 makes such a brilliant point, a point that's so important for me to remember, and maybe for all of us. God doesn't see as people see, mm -hmm. as man sees, mm -hmm. but as human beings see. Yep. God, um, we look on the outward appearance and yeah. God looks on the heart. And yeah. um, I think ultimately our relationship with Christ and our being a part of God's family mm -hmm. is known is known to God. Yeah. So there's a sense yep. that it is. It's between me and God. Yep. And, um, and that's, I mean, I find that 
um, I find that I need to be aware of that when I look at other people's lives yeah. because it's so easy to misjudge. Yeah. And then and then the last thought. But, but Sandy, let me just come back to that. In a lot of the relationships we have, you you talk to Christians differently from non-Christians. And, and you give assurance and reassurance of salvation to Christians and you try to get to consideration of the gospel and non-Christians. We have to, I think, make evaluations of whether we think a belie- person is a believer or not. And so, I, in, just in ordinary life, um, we don't want to be judgmental, we don't want to be obnoxious. But... Yeah, I do talk to them differently. But, well, no. Okay, Sandy, go well, ahead. Just the final thought uh, from the scripture where you spent a lot mm-hmm. of time last week in Hebrews 6 and that sort of um, interesting and somewhat troubling to some folks uh, passage. Mm-hmm. I think the bottom line is the first phrase in Hebrews 6, 10. Mm-hmm. God is not unjust. Mm-hmm. We can trust the heart of God. And mm-hmm. I mean... God is not unjust. And I think even in genuinely born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb folks, there can be seasons of life of turning away from yep. God. Yep. Um, but God is not unjust, and he knows our heart. He doesn't look on the outside like others do. He looks yep. on the heart. Okay, I'm going to just repeat that um, because I like it. <laughs> it was good, and it needs to be said. After this warning in Hebrews 6... Um, uh, the author says, but but God is not so unjust as to overlook your work, the love that you showed for his, say, uh, his sake, and assurance of hope and faith. I mean, God sees all those things, and, and God is not unjust, and so God will be fair. Um, so where does that leave me? Oh, yes. I, so what Sandy is saying, there can be genuine believers who stray. And Saul might be one, but yeah, but then when, or Samson, and then the end of his life, he's he's got faith that he prays to God, and so, and they will return to some measure at the uh, later in life, and so, and so we pray for that. But while they're in the rebellion, we don't know. I mean, and that's hard to say, but I I think that we just we pray earnestly. Then we need to treat it honestly. Okay, am I? Oh, oh, I'm way too long. Oh, thank you so much. Let's sing Blessed Assurance and we're done. Yep. Oh, John's got one. He's got the microphone. Is this on? Yeah. I just want to clarify something about what I said last week. Yep. I don't have any doubt that I'm saved. Yeah. I put my life and stuff for me to say this. But uh, I'm, I agree with you, though, John. I, I, uh. it, it's... I love Jesus, and I know he loves me. What I was talking about is gifts. Mm-hmm. He, gives, he has some people that he makes that make flatbread. Yeah. And some people are great orators, and some are teachers like you. Mm-hmm. And that's more what I was addressing yeah. than... Um, this question. A doubt in, yeah. in where I stood. Yeah, good. With my Savior. I took it that way. Good. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence of genuine faith in your life, John, and I'm thankful for it. Very thankful. Let's sing first and last verse, and we'll be done. <laughs> 